Hey, this is Helen Paradise from SoCal, and you are listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Happy to have you aboard here for the really big barbecue show. Boing. We cook because we have to, and we grill because we want to. Hit me. Fine. How's it going? You have a great show. I'm a big fan. Boing. So what 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 seems to be the problem here? This man looks like he's dead, and he's in the in the crackle. Charbono. It's all about the Charbono, dude. Succulent fish. What? He ate two feet wiener. Oh, listen, Laburnius. Shut your face. I'm shaking like a dog shit peach seed. <laughs> we have top men working on it right now. <laughs> top men. And just like that, we are into the second hour. You're watching the Barbecue Central Show. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. However you're getting it. We're doing it live right here every Tuesday, we'll do it live. 9 to 11. We're recording for podcast release on Wednesdays and Thursdays. We'll get to Friday here in a second. Still to come on this show, Jess Pryles from Hardcore Carnivore in about 11 minutes from now. And then, closing out the show, Matt Overson from Wicked Pig. He is a champion State Cook-Off Association cook griller let's say it like that don't forget you can follow me socially on instagram twitter tiktok snapchat slash bbq central show on facebook and twitch slash rd rempy on youtube sorry the handle uh, for all those other social media ones uh, at bbq central show in case i didn't say that Jason Pettis is a longtime fan. Sometimes I miss the old weird science mix. So do I, Jason, but rules with copyright music and stuff. So all the music that you hear on the show now, I've either bought or it's copyright free, whatever they call it. You got to play by the rules now, even though YouTube and Amazon both hate my guts and won't pay me no matter what and won't listen to my explanations for things that I didn't do. They don't give a shit about that. They don't want to pay me, I can tell you that. I digress. Also, aside from the social media, if you want, you can get an ad-free podcast feed, if you desire, by becoming a patron over at the new Barbecue Central Show Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash Show. Or if you're an Apple Podcast user, you can get the ad-free show feed by subscribing directly within the podcast app itself. So enjoy that if you're so inclined. Coming up on the best moments of the Barbecue Central Show in 10 minutes or less this Friday, episode 186, if you can believe it, 14 weeks out from broaching the 200 show mark. This one taking you back to July 31st, 2012, where you will find the ever popular, the most downloaded styles of show that this particular program has ever seen, the roundtable shows. This one is a brisket roundtable show. To include the top brisket pitmasters of that time, now nine years ago, Mike Wozniak, the Wizard of Woz from QOW or Barbecue Hour or whatever they're calling themselves now in the third iteration, but back when I knew him, it was QOW. Also on the panel, Ryan Newstrom from Big T's Q Crew. And rounding out the panel at that time was Scott Key from Little Pigtown. Three of the top brisket cooks back then. 
And it ends up being a bit of a garnish conversation, the way John constructed it. So if you're a longtime fan of the show and you were listening when there was a lot more competition stuff, one of the questions through roundtables or if you had a fairly substantial competitor on the show for an evening who held the ear of a lot of folks, I would always bring up the garnish and how can you believe that garnish is listed as optional and who would ever turn in a box without garnish in it? Aren't you just asking to lose? So you'll hear a little bit of that garnish conversation, what it sounded like nine years ago. So take a look back and see what you think. If by chance you have a segment or a guest you would like to hear from again from a previous show, shoot John an email, J O N at the BBQ Central Show.com, and he'll do his best to meet your needs. And then there's this. Uh-oh. I have received a number of emails over the last many months, and it especially heightened once again over the last week because of Meathead's fat yapper telling me that my blind love for Bubba Burgers is, in a word, wrong. Is it? Meathead went on and on about it last week, saying how bad they were. It took him two months to get through the box. There's only six burgers in a box. There's no way it took you two months to get through it. But trust me, I've seen Meathead. He's not. Andrew, you are not the fuck. He's not eating one burger at a time, no matter how gross he says they are. So uh, three weeks tops that box of burgers stayed in his house. But he wants to say two months to get through the box. I even got a text message from Jay over at the Grill Coach podcast saying, and I quote, Yes, Greg, I fell into your Bubba Burger trap. Your food judgments will forever be in question. Well, here's the good news for those of you who think that I snookered you in some way as it relates to Bubba Burgers. I have collected all of your names related information, sent them to Bubba Burger Corporate, and I have told them to ban all of you from being able to purchase any of their products going forward. They have your pictures at all the cash registers across all the grocery stores and retailers nationwide. They've been given strict instructions by Bubba Burger Corporate to confiscate any Bubba Burger products from you because you don't deserve them anymore. I'm helping you from yourself. If you think that my burger tastes are whack because I find Bubba Burgers to be freaking delicious circles of beefy goodness, fine. More for me and your band from buying them anymore. It's a win-win. I get all the Bubba Burgers I want. You get dick. I'm not saying that we can't have different palates. I mean, you people are the only ones making sure I know how much of a shithead I am for loving Bubba Burgers. What I'm saying is this. If you have a problem with Bubba Burgers, you really don't have a problem with me at all. You have a problem with yourself. Uh I live in a home with some of the most discerning barbecue and grilling palates in the world. Do you know how many times those women, and I say that with peace and love, by the way, do you know how many times those women have complained about Bubba Burgers? Go ahead. Toss out a number. All wait. What do you think? Three times, 19 times, 119 times, wrong, zero times. Do they hate pork tenderloin? Yes. 
Will they take a pass on most chicken that comes off the grill or smoker? Yes. Have they ever complained about a Bubba Burger? No, never. Do you know why? Because they're fucking delicious. Trust me, I love them. So go ahead, grind your own meat, do all that happy horse shit the way that you think you're doing it better than me, and I'll just continue to fire up the gas grill and toss on my frozen Bubba Burgers and laugh at you who think that I'm a loon. Don't forget, you're banned from buying them anymore, fuckface. I think I set you straight on that. I think I did. I like it. I'm going to leave it there. You can't hurt my feelings by trying to blast me in the package for my undying and blind love of Bubba Burgers. They're just great. And we can agree to disagree and still be friends. That's why this America works between me and you. Now, if you can't get over the fact that I like Bubba Burgers, unsubscribe. We'll get the ones that can agree to disagree. Jess Pryles is in the green room. Before we get to her, I will talk to you quickly about Yoder Smokers. Designing and building all of their products right here in the States. Building pride through craftsmanship. World-class customer service is the backbone of how that company is built. This approach translates into what can truly be a bespoke-style product that elevates gatherings with friends and family. They're honored to have a trusted place in the backyards of America. From pellet grills to wood-fueled offset pits or charcoal grills, consistent blue ribbon flavor has become synonymous with the name Yoder Smoker. Make no mistake, Yoder Smoker's flavor-driven design is unique to each style of pit, and the team has developed their cookers to perform time and time again while outlasting the competition for generations to come. It's this generational thought that's rooted in the handmade products and defines the integrity of the core values. American-made quality, endless flavor are the benchmarks of Yoder Smokers. Find them at yodersmokers.com and grab yours today. That's yodersmokers.com. And we'll be right back with Jess Pryles. Stick around. You're listening to the number one most downloaded barbecue and grilling podcast anywhere. The Barbecue Central Show. Howard Stern, Jim Rome, Dan Patrick, and Greg Rampey. The Mountain Rushmore of talk show entertainment. Now, let's get back to the Barbecue Central Show. The emails are rolling in at a feverish pace. Slow down, creeps. This portion brought to you by Pit Barrel Cooker. The most unbelievable outdoor cooking device on the planet, currently available in two sizes, a host of accessories to complete the pit barrel cooking experience. Beginners, professionals, you're all invited. Hit pitbarrelcooker.com and tell them the Barbecue Central Show sent you. My first guest from the second hour is the CEO of Hardcore Carnivore brand of products. She's also a spokesperson for a number of high-profile brands, book writer, social media, internet sensation as well as Barbecue Central Show guest Hall of Famer. We race to the hotline and welcome back quarterly guest Jess Priles. Hey, Jess. Jess, not there. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. As I mentioned, the emails are rolling in. I will save you what they're saying. 
but a lot of them are in disagreement with me. Austin Parsons weighing in. Hey, Solberg, put that Bubba Burger rant in the hopper for the best moments of the Barbecue Central show in 10 minutes or less years from now. That was fantastic. Thank you, Austin. I don't know if anybody saw this or not. I got to accept cookies. Farmer selling horse milk for whatever 13 euro a, a pint is, if you can believe that. Uh-oh. That's right. 13 dollars. 13 euros a pint. A British farmer produces the world's most expensive milk from horses, costing 13 euros a pint. Frank Shellard runs the only farm in Britain to commercially produce the alternative dairy product. He says he got the idea to cure his daughter's eczema. Frank's family business, Comb Hay Mare's Milk, has 14 mares producing 12 to 14 liters a day to make milk and hand cream lotion. Frank says his mare's milk is far sweeter, much lower fat content than cow milk, and says it's drunk by over 30 million people around the world. To date in America, I know zero people that are drinking horse milk, other than baby horses. Frank, 62, got the idea for the business after seeing the product cure his daughter's 30-year-old Allison's skin problem when she was 12. Allison now works on the farm where she's in charge of milking, head milker, and former eczema sufferer Allison. Mare's milk is not designed to replace regular cow's milk, but Frank says its health benefit means everyone should be incorporating it into their own diet. He said it's a lot more expensive. It's probably the most expensive milk in the world at $6.50 for 250 milliliters, whatever a milliliter is. But adding a quote saying, you would be drinking it as a health drink more than so than putting it on your cornflakes. The ethics are of, of it are the ethics of it are fantastic. There's no chemicals used whatsoever. It's even helped combat high cholesterol after he suffered a stroke last year. Frank from Bath, Somerset said doctors tried to get cholesterol down, but they were struggling. I started drinking a liter of horse milk a day, went back in after about a month. They couldn't believe how much it had gone down. Frank says comb hay is the only business commercially producing horse milk in Great Britain. He added, they're the only ones in the world registered with the Soil Association, which means all the milk they produce is 100% organic and without chemicals. So just when you thought the love of horse couldn't get any deeper, here it's curing eczema, bringing down the bad cholesterol. I assume it's the bad cholesterol. You don't want to bring down the good cholesterol, the LDLs and the HDLs. I have time to read yet another passage. That's right. We go ahead and race to horse meat for human consumption. Last time we visited the reference material on eating horse meat, we talked about tenderloin steak. And tonight we're going to be talking about rib steak from the horse. That's right. The rib steak is more flavorful than the tenderloin and very nearly as tender. It is cooked much the same as tenderloin, though a trifle more difficult to broil successfully. Broil? We grill our horse meat on this show, pal. It should be 
bought with the bone still in it, as the bone and the steak enhances flavor. No, it doesn't! Come on, Leon! Where were you in 1950? I know Meathead was around in 1952. Why weren't you consulting him? The bone does not add flavor to the meat, you dummy. It's calcified. It's not giving any flavor. I'll look past it. To pan fry, the steak should first be rolled in flour, then cooked very slowly in a well-oiled pan. Add salt after the steak is nearly done. To broil, select a cut which seems to contain an unusual amount of natural fat and follow the procedure previously outlined for broiling the tenderloin. The French people cook the rib steak by seasoning first, inserting several garlic cloves into the meat, then pan frying very quickly until both sides are brown, then removing from the pan while the steak is still quite rare. Otherwise, the meat becomes tough. After removing the steak, add red wine and parsley to deglaze the pan. And that steak juice to bring to the boil makes a really delicious sauce. Mm. Well, there you go. Your most recent passage of horse meat. No problem. All right, well, we're going to cut losses with Jess here. We'll try and rebook her again. However, I do see Matt Overson is in the green room as well. So we'll do a quick break here and we'll have uh, perhaps a bit of an extended time with Matt. He's a world championship pit master, if you didn't know it, and steak cook. So we got a lot to talk about. Before we get to Matt, I will talk to you quickly about Green Mountain Grill, some of the best pellet cookers out there on the market today. Choice line, prime line, totally up to you. Choice line is the entry level. Let me thumb this out. That's right. That's the entry level. So you don't get uh, Wi-Fi connectivity. You don't get app connectivity. You don't get internal meat probes. But if you don't need any of that, then don't worry about it. Save yourself a couple hundred bucks. Get the choice line. Comes in both the Jim Bowie, the Daniel Boone size. You're off and running. Now, if you like some tech, if you want to have internal meat probes, if you want to adjust the temperature of the cooker through an app so you can be anywhere in the world and do that, depending on what the deal is, hey, no problem. You can get the Prime Plus line. Prime Plus gives you a front shelf, more of a robust build on the chassis. You have lights on the inside of the cooking chamber and a window on top so you can peek in without opening. Also, a peek-in window on the main pellet hopper. Both lines will accommodate the pizza oven insert as well. So, know it and love it. It's going to be wonderful. They're only sold through dealers, so know that going in. GreenMountainGrills.com That's GreenMountainGrills.com Com. Find a dealer near you. Visit that dealer. And you can visit that dealer. Get educated. And then you'll have success right out of the bat. It's great. GreenMountainGrills.com. That's GreenMountainGrills.com. We will join Matt Overson when we come back. Stick around. We'll be right listening to the number one most downloaded barbecue and grilling podcast anywhere. The Barbecue Central Show.
Celebrating over 10 years of prolific and unparalleled live fire barbecue and grilling talk. And yes, it's still being done from Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. All right, welcome back. This portion of the show being brought to you by Smithfield. Through the grilling season, which we are in the midst of right now, you can head on over to smithfield.com and get tips and tricks from pitmasters like Chris Lilly, Darren Worth, Ernest Cervantes, and Charles Cridland. With mouth-watering flavor, no artificial ingredients, Smithfield fresh pork, quite simply, some of the finest pork money can buy, a trusted choice of world championship pitmasters for use in competitions and at home. If you are a committed cook, go to smokinwithsmithfield.com and report your first-place finishes in ribs and shoulders. Once again, that's smokinwithsmithfield.com or for recipes, tips, and tricks, smithfield.com. Coming out of the bullpen in an extended version, whether he knows it or not, is the 2019 SEA points champ. And at that time, no one had amassed and or accumulated as many points through a regular season as he did. He has a class on barbecue champs where he will spill his guts on how he cooks the steak and will also throw in a wing recipe to boot. And on the most revered day of each and every year, July 10th, he landed the first ever perfect stake score in the SCA in Bone Durant, Iowa. I probably said that wrong. Which, if you didn't know, perfect score in stake is 254.5. I'll talk to Mag about that here in a second. We race to the hotline and welcome first timer to the show, Matt Overston. Hey, Matt. Matt, are you there? Matt? there there you are yeah. you were on mute how about you love it yeah and now we have you welcome aboard here matt happy to have you thank thanks matt is the this is nothing to do with you of course but how the hell is a perfect score in sea not a whole number 254.5 seems like you're at least a half a point shy of something whole what's the deal with that uh there's five judges and uh when you do uh uh, the judging is 10.9 is what they would do. So uh, you get a 10 in appearance, 10 in texture. Um, uh, get put me on the spot here. Uh, 10.9 in doneness and 50 overall impression. So the 10.9 equals that 54.5. Uh, All right. 254.5. So that's how you get your perfect score. Uh, before we get yep. into uh, talking about that number, let's walk it back a little bit, Matt. Did you grow up in a home that was you know, real big live fire cooks or what we would know as traditional barbecue, or do you find that later in life? Um, my family, uh, they owned a meat market uh, when I was growing up, so I grew up around you know, a cut meat market and um, just loved cooking. Um, you know, We had everything to our expense. Were they doing swinging meat, or was it boxed at that point? Swinging. Mm-hmm. So, were you ever thinking about pursuing a career in butchery or anything like that? No, uh, <laughs> I actually had to clean all the rendering stuff out every every night, so that kind of sucked. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, so that could turn you off. Uh, what do you? Yeah. When do you find out about barbecue competitions? Uh, two thousand nine. Oh, so you've been. Uh, headlong into that uh since 2009 or have you had like, like you've been in it and then you get out of it or how does that look no i i started in 2009 um 
I did a contest uh, for I put on a contest and then I met Darren from Smokey D's and he helped me get uh, the first contest up and going. And uh, after that, I did that and I was like, I'm cooking the next one. So the next year I cooked and I was hooked. So how did the schedule unfold for you? Were you a team that started out, you know, slow and, and local ish or did you just, you know, jump right into doing 20 plus during the course of a year? I did like four or five, and then I progressively got uh, into more. Um, it was a lot of money, of course, so um, I just whatever I could afford, and uh, I I eventually did twenty twenty five a year. Uh, where are you home based out of right now? I live in Norwalk, Iowa. All right, and uh, is cooking steaks and barbecuing your full time job, or do you have a, a nine to five? I work at the. I work for the city uh, where I live uh, here in Norwalk. Um, I'm only only five minutes from the Des Moines Airport, so I'm I'm fairly close to Des Moines, where it's a little suburb. So, now when do you find out about steak cookoffs, and how does that attract you? How does the hook set there? Um, I was having a lot of fun and barbecue, but I was getting a little burnout on it. Um, and there was a steak comp at a, a barbecue event that I went to, and. Uh, I signed up and I got uh, third place there and that was be 2016. I think it was. And, uh, I was hooked. I'm like, I'm done cooking barbecue. This is a lot more fun. And I mean, I just, I left the barbecue scene. I still do the American Royal and I'm getting a little bit more back into barbecue, uh, hog cooks. I was just in Memphis in May, um, helped out there uh, and I cook some ancillaries. So getting back into more cooking. When you looked back at why you left, you said you were getting burnt out, but were there, you know, two or three specific things that you were not really digging on that made it an easy exit for you after you found the steak? Uh, I, I did a lot of it by myself. Um, I did have uh, another guy come help me every once in a while, but uh, I got up in the middle of the night and fired up the pit and it was just, just, kind of sucked every after once in a while. I mean, I missed my whole weekend and my family and I was kind of just like, I'm done. So Matt, I had your sister on a bit earlier in the year after she won the world title. Uh, how was that for you? Is it cool seeing your sister get such a huge award? I mean, obviously you, you want to get that ring, but uh, outside of you, is she the person you would like to see win it? Yeah, it was uh very emotional for me. I mean, to see, see what she's done and you know, how I, you know, I gave her a, a box of rubs and said, there you go. You know, just start working on some stuff. And, you know, we had, a, she had some good teachers along the way and we helped her out a lot. And then she took kind of the bull by the horns and went out and, you know, started at home and practice, practice, practice and got there. One of the things that I've talked about on the show as it relates to competition barbecue is where is that next generation of competitive cook coming from? And there didn't really seem to be, you know, other than one here or one there, there didn't seem to be a generation or a population that was going to be coming up to be that next wave. However, when you look at the SCA, there are a number of youngsters, uh, you know, and to me that's 25 and under that seem to have a passion for it. They seem to be really good at it. And I think when younger people see younger people or, or within their age demographic doing something, being successful at it. That only adds inspiration for people younger than them to want to give it a shot as well. How competitive are you two with each other? Uh, we're real competitive. 
uh, it's, we did a thing on barbecue champs Academy, uh, and it was uh, brother against sister. Uh, we did it at the world championship in the parking lot, just kind of a, a throw down. And Mike Steele was, uh, on there and he was like, come on, let's do it. And I said, all right. I said, I wasn't going to pull the grill out, but let's roll. So we did a live deal right there at the championship and took about an hour and a half, uh, two hours. We got some judges together and, uh, judged it. I tried something new that day, but she beat me. So. Would you normally try something new? No, I had a I had a new rub that I was uh, trying out, and I just like threw it all together. So I wanted to see how how it was going to roll. Interesting. Always, I think when you look at competition barbecue, I think maybe that's where a lot of the hurdle has come up. Most competition barbecuers don't feel maybe they want to be creative, maybe they want to take a risk like you are, but it's gotten so expensive now and. There's so much at risk that nobody seems to want to venture out of where that winning flavor profile sets. And there seem to be so many teams that are able to cook that particular flavor profile well. That There's a lot of... The, the playing field isn't even, but it seems like if you're a judge, you're like, wow, did I just taste that? Wow, did I just taste that? Where I think if you were able to be rewarded to some degree for some type of out-of-the-box flavor profile, not offensive, of course... Do you think that that stymies the growth? And perhaps a follow-up question to that would be, do you think you have that leeway in the SEA, or do you have to conform to whatever is winning there as well? I think there's a lot of flavor profiles out there that could win. Um, and there's a lot of them in different parts of the country. Uh, you know, barbecue has that same kind of little realm of, uh, you know, got to use this down here, use that up there. Uh, sometimes when you get a flavor, it works works in a lot of places. Um you know, what I use works in Oklahoma, um, Iowa, you know, Minnesota, just right through the Midwest and all the way to Texas. You know, if I veer off and get over into Arkansas or somewhere out in that area, and sometimes I got to tweak some stuff. But otherwise, there's as long as you can cook a well-balanced steak, you can walk. Matt Overson joining me here on the show. He's the pitmaster of Wicked Pig, and we're going to be talking about that perfect steak here in just a second. So, uh, let's go ahead and uh, walk back to the weekend of July 10th. Uh, once again, best day of the year. Birthday. Magic happens. Matt, you go to the event. Is it is it Bodurant or Bodurant? or Bonder, Bondurant. Bondurant. And uh, you Bondurant. cook a steak that receives perfect scores. So before we talk specifically on that, um, and well, I guess you kind of explained how the scoring system works, but I mean, from a, from a judge's standpoint, uh, notwithstanding like the specific scores, um, when you turn in, like what are the judges looking for? Oh, well, of course they you know they get the appearance. Um, the steak gets cut before it gets to them, so they're only uh, they're eating the spinalis. So when you put it in the box, uh, the top of it is the judged portion. Um, the bottom portion they can eat that. So anything where that cut line is, they can eat below that. If you turn it in a box um, a little bit. So say if you want to turn it to 10 o'clock or two o'clock, you can determine your own cut line. And then when, when you put it in that box, that's how they cut it. So you determine your own fate. If you flipped it upside down, they would actually be in the loin portion and they'd be judging the top portion. So you'd kind of get the wrong way if you put it in the box wrong. So you want to pay so. attention to that for sure, right? Yeah, that, that gives you a good appearance. So if you have a, like a bad fat spot that got burnt 
you know, say on your right hand side, if you want to turn your stake more to the two o'clock and even crank it in there to three, as long as there's enough for five judges to eat on there, um, you can get away with having that cut line, that f burnt fat below that cut line. So it actually gives you a better appearance. <laughs> when you were turning in the stake that gets the perfect score, was there anything that was standing out to you as that thing being exceptional or something that was going to be a, a record breaker at that point? Uh, just just a normal everyday steak. You know, I'm, I've am i cooked uh, probably 200 and I think over 250 comps. So, wow. uh, you know, it was just, an, just another day. You know, it's always looms in the back, back of your mind that, hey, it's out there, you know, but that wasn't the day. I mean, I, I cooked a solid steak and that's all I could do, and I was blessed to have a perfect score. So, Do you mind if we kind of walk through the process? Yeah. All right, so uh, you go up to the, as I call it, the vaunted table of meat, and as we know, you have a chip, and you do the, the snake draw. So if you're two, you go second, and then you would go second to last uh, when you go grab your second steak. So as you approach that table, what are you looking for specifically? I know your sister is real big on the tryhard. I think uh, Sandy Brown real big on the tryhard as well. What do you like? Yeah, I cook tryhard. Uh, just depends, um, you know, whether you're getting a choice steak or you're getting, um, you know, like a wagyu. Uh, there's all kinds of things to look for. You know, in a wagyu, I wouldn't pick a big tryhard. I'd kind of go to the smaller tries. You know, so probably the fifth or sixth steak in right before this manalis. But uh, if you got like a really shitty steak, you know, that's a really choice or a no roll, um, pick that big. Try hard. It'd be it's gonna be a little more, more tender. When you get it back to the the booth or the trailer or whatever you have, um, how do you go about prepping it up? Do you trim a lot? Are you a, a tail on, a tail off? Do you round it out? What do you like to do? Uh, I like to leave it look like a ribeye. I take the tail off there. Uh, most people do. Um, it's kind of like the tail of death. If you leave it on there, I mean, can it help if you it at all? It looks really good. I, I would never leave it on there. Never. I've never huh? left one on. All right. Never, never. Um, I've seen a lot of people do it, and um, they do okay with them. I mean, I've seen people win with tail on. Um, the first thing I do, I get back there, I I uh, put it in the cooler because you know they've been sitting on the table for half hour, forty five minutes, so um, they're kind of a little bit soft. So I like to put them in the cooler. They trim a little bit better, and then I I like to shape them like a ribeye. I don't do the hockey puck thing as people say they are, you know. Um, I don't think that really matters as long as the steak looks good. Um, get it there and trim it up, tie it, marinade. Sits in the marinade for about 14 minutes. And then uh, after that, uh, get to seasoning and get ready to get my grill fired up. I mean, it's pretty quick. Uh, they only give you like an hour and a half, sometimes two hours. And that goes by, especially if you're bullshitting with your friends and having a few beers and lose track of time. So, Are you not a pinner? I pin. Oh, yeah. I think I might have invented the Frankenstein of pins. What is that? I use uh, – they're just uh, turkey lasers is what they are. So they're a little stainless steel pin, and uh, it just helps hold that steak together. Um, why, and it helps the string from rolling up. Uh, when the steak cooks, the uh, steak expands. And when it expands, if you don't have that string pinned, the string will roll, and it could actually cause your steak to cup. So – I pin the crap out of it. 
Um, you had mentioned you put it in marinade for 14 minutes. Is that an exacting time? Like if you left it in for 20, it would denature the meat or, or change the flavor profile, or is, is that just a rough number? Um, I do 14 minutes, um, and that's what I tell everybody. I'm not I'm not secretive about that. I mean, I made the product, so um, that's what I do. I leave. I could leave it in there, you know, 20, 25 minutes um, on like a probably a, a steak that doesn't have any fat in it because it separates all fat from all protein, and it does it in a quick hurry. Um, I mix it with beef consomme, and um, if you uh, if you left it in the bag for an hour, there wouldn't be anything left of it. I'm not saying it wouldn't uh, be gone. It would just be a ball of fat and a ball of protein, and wow. it would still be perfectly edible, but it would be really mushy. How do you come up with a recipe that's so quick acting? Um, my dad's in the meat business, of course. And, you know, uh, he, he's got a, he has a room that's got all that product in it. And, you know, I, I developed it because that's the way I wanted a fast acting deal. There was no marinade out there on the market that was fast. I mean, most stuff was an hour, hour and a half and I needed, you know, I needed faster time. So are you trying to get flavor pushed in it or salt or both or tenderize? Uh, there's a little bit. There's a flavor pack in there, but it tenderizes fast. So I like I like top sirloin um, at home, and I cube it up, and I put it in there for 45 minutes, and it's like eating um, a filet. Really? So and this is currently available on the market. Is it like uh, Matt's Magic Marinade? or? Uh, it's uh, the Wicked Pig. It's on Amazon. Uh, there's about 65 barbecue stores throughout the country that have it uh australia new zealand also stock it so is this like a hot marinade on the sea circuit too i mean you're fairly accomplished in, in winning and championships and all that other stuff so i would imagine it's a lot of copycat um it's it i mean everybody's there's a lot of people using it there's a few other marinades coming out on the market right now but uh um for the most part i would say 80 percent of the SCA people are using it. When you pull it out of the marinade, you rinse it off or you just leave it be and then apply the rub and away you go. Personal preference. Uh, I pat it dry and, uh, and start applying my, uh, spices. Uh, some people rinse it off. Like I said, it's personal, personal to whoever wants to do it. If you leave it on there, um, it is a dark marinade. So if you leave it on there, it makes your steak a little darker. So if you're using a darker rubs, um, it tends to get way too dark. What do you like to use for rubs? Oh, uh, you know, salt and pepper. Ah, keeping it simple. Uh, smoke, meat, and fire, everybody. That, that's right. Uh, a grill that you run? Uh, M16, Travis McGee out of yep. Mesquite, Texas. Um, I uh, I used a PK for a long time, and I met Travis, and I seen these grills, and I'm like, man, them things are sexy. I got to have one. And uh, I tell you what, I've never looked back. He makes bar none best grill on the market using grill so. grates on those as well like i mean is everybody using grill grates at this point yeah yep and he integrates that uh m16 um and then the grill grates are built into it so when you buy the grill the grates are already in there so there's really no other like grate in it they're just the grill grates sit on there and they run four of them in there and i take one out so i get a little more airflow in my grill so i just run three grates do you use it at home otherwise just for rando weekend cookings or is that your competition cooker and you're not going to use it for anything else? 
Uh, most of the time it just sits in the back of the truck because I do cook pretty much every weekend or I try. Um, back in 2019, I don't think that we haven't unloaded the truck. Uh, we might have unloaded it to uh, uh, clean it every once in a while, but uh, it stayed loaded the whole time. What kind of fuel are you using? B&B charcoal. Uh, briquettes or lump briquette mix? Char logs? Briquette. Briquettes. I used to use logs in the PK. Um, they burn really hot. And the M16 is uh, the way the way the stainless is on there. It does not take very much charcoal to fuel that thing up and keep it rolling. So I only use a Oklahoma Joe's uh, uh, charcoal chimney, and it's just about level full, and that's it. And it'll run. It's easy to maintain. I, I throw the, th- get them all hot, throw them in there. It takes about a minute and a half. I put the the grates go on it, minute and a half, and I close the lid. And then there's 600 degrees. Is that the temperature you're shooting for on the rail? 600 degrees? Yeah. Yeah. 600, 615. So that's about the norm. People do cook a little bit hotter. Um, I just choose not to. Hotter rail obviously is just going to get you a darker diamond pattern or, or cross pattern or whatever the hell you want to call it. Yeah. And, and that could also give you some, uh, some char, you know, if you want to have uh, char flavored to your steak, uh, a little bit of char is good, but too much is is uh, a little more overpowering, and the judges don't like that. Can it run away from you, though? I mean, I found this has nothing to do with steak, but I found when I'm running the pizza oven on the Green Mountain Grill, if I creep it up into the oven temperature of 900 degrees or more, if it starts to go bad, like that's it. Quickly, in 10 seconds, it goes from bad to fucked. Um, similar in, yeah. in steak, where if you're getting some char, it's good, but it can quickly multiply into bad char. Yeah, so I mean, it like depends depends on what you're using for rubs. So if you were using a sugar based rub or salt based, so salt, you know, sugar based would burn. So the hotter them rails, you know, you put all that sugar based rub on there, and uh, you stick it to there, and you know, a minute and a half. I mean, on each side, it's it's gonna it's gonna char them lines, and they're already burnt. Is and, that you know, there's a there's a lot of people that come up and be, hey, taste my steak, you know. And I'll, I'll personally tell them, hey, there's too much char on there. I mean, some char is good, but uh, the burnt is not. Is the flip schedule that you were just talking about, that minute and a half, is that where you're making your turns at? Uh, I run 45-second turns. So I run 45, 45, 45, 45, and I'm uh, up on the rack. I should be another four minutes, and I'm off. Do you shoot for a specific internal temperature, or are you going by feel? Uh, an internal temperature. I'm not going to disclose that, um, but uh, it's you know perfect medium is mm-hmm. what we're looking for. That's right. Uh, uh, that, that's a, that's a, there's a lot of people that are it's it's hard to for them to achieve that that number. Um, there's a lot of rise in your steak when you take it off. I mean it's it's kind of a science, and there's a lot of people haven't figured it out, but some don't. So what are you taking into account, like when? You see the steak, I and mean, you've done it enough. Obviously, you're on the other side of of not knowing, and you know. But is it thickness? Is there wind calculation outside? Is it the amount of charcoal that you're using? Is it the temperature of where the grill grate starts? I mean, how many different uh, things are you taking into account to to end up getting so you don't rise above? Humidity would be a big one. Uh, humidity would give you a big rise and your steak cooks a lot faster so that you got to be really careful. I, I check my steak on the third turn. Um, sometimes it's pretty close to done. I mean, I need to make sure I can make it through that fourth turn 
um, before it, you know, I don't want to overshoot it because once you're, once you're over, you're done. I mean, you, the, I'd rather turn in under than over all day of the week. So, so if you're running fast on the third turn, do you take the stake off and then choke the cooker down uh, to bring the temp down or will you just not cook as long on the fourth turn yeah. then or what? Yeah, I just won't cook as long on the fourth turn. Um, if it hits that number, I'll take it off and put it on the table. It should go up about five or six degrees and it's ready. I, I keep a little uh, Thermoworks dot in there. Um, not the whole time it's cooking. I use a just a regular Thermopin when it's on the grill. When it comes off, I use a, uh, a needle probe dot and it stays in there and I can just watch it. Um, and it'll go up five degrees in a matter of a minute. When you take it off, uh, you go in, are you reseasoning it at that point? Uh, I mean, obviously you can't taste it, but uh, like, what are your finishing processes before you close that box up and end up running into the table? I do a, I do a butter uh, glaze, and then uh, I, I do a dust. How shocked were you that the steak you turned in July 10th ends up getting that perfect score? In other words... For as, as many times as you've turned in steak, as you said, uh, you know, 250 comps or, or whatever it is. Did you ever think that this is the one that is going to bring the rain? No, I mean, I've, you know, you know, when you when you hit a home run, um, you know, I've seen I've had some home run steaks and um, that's a home run there, steak right there, by the steak. way. How about that? That's what yep. a perfect steak looks like. If you were wondering. So, I mean, you, you just know, I mean, but you never think it's never happened. So you're like, you know, there's not going to be a perfect score today. Um, we've always said that this perfect score is either going to come out of Iowa or Florida because uh, we have really consistent judging in here in the Midwest and in Florida. So predominantly, you know, Texas, Oklahoma and other places, they just judge a little low. Um, and it, but you can still win with a low score, you know, don't get me wrong, but they, it's not as high you know, and, and, and those areas. First thoughts when you're called, I mean, obviously you win, but then to realize you've made the first perfect score in, in SCA, what does that mean to you? Oh boy. You know, get winning a ring and, and doing all that stuff was uh, pretty exhilarating for me and, um, real emotional. Uh, but winning a perfect score was like, you know, wow. I mean, I don't know how many comps there's been, probably 4,000, I would say, yeah. um, seven years of SCA and it's never been done. So I feel really fortunate. I was, um, had my grandmother there and my grandmother's 92. So she's oh, never wow. been to a state comp. It's 20 minutes from my house. So for me to, uh, pull that off in front of her and her get to come for the first time and see that it was pretty, pretty awesome. Do you get a lot of uh, media attention off of that? I mean, obviously, I'm sure a lot of the, the top pitmasters in SCA are reaching out to you with congratulations. But like, what's the most unexpected thing that came out of this, aside from being on this show? Um, you know, back in 2019, I, I, I wondered where what was going to come next. Mm -hmm. um, it all comes later. It doesn't come like you know the next day, or it just comes later. Um, I mean. I have my own sponsors and I pick and choose who I want, you know, you know, to be with, but, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of grill companies come to you. A lot of charcoal companies, um, people like that. Um, and I just, like I said, I have who I have and, 
that's who I'm sticking with. So, uh, who do you want to plug tonight before I let you go? And I appreciate all the the insight and information you've given out tonight. Who do you use? Who do you recommend? Any of your own stuff? Uh, my boys from uh, Boar's Night Out, White Lightning, Eric and Alan. Um, they believed in me when nobody believed in me, and they were my first uh, rub sponsor. And uh, we are best friends and family. And uh, I want to thank those guys um, for everything. Um, they helped me out a lot. Uh, B&B Charcoal, uh, Travis McGee from M16, M Grills, does an amazing job. Uh, Gunther Willem Knives, uh, those guys are great. Be Extreme, Jerry Rowan, buddy of mine, he has some great rubs out there too. So, And of course your marinade, which you can get on Amazon? Yep, yep, Amazon or uh, Barbecue Superstore, Barbecue Pro Shop, you know, any, any big, any big, uh, barbecue stores or if you you know you got a barbecue store near you and you don't have it and ask for it they can get a hold of me where you at next uh i cook in Atumwa, iowa i got another close one about an hour away from my house uh this weekend um so we're going to go roll down there um with the new point system it, it makes it easier to stick around home a little bit so Matt Overson is the first person to cook a perfect steak in SEA in seven years of its existence. 254.5 is that score, and he attained it on July 10th. A no better day to do that, uh, by the way. So, Matt, we uh, say congratulations once again here from the show. Continued success, and we will talk to you again soon, pal. All right. Thank you. You got it. There he is. Matt Overson right there. 2019 points champ. Most accumulated points that year, now adding perfect stake score to his docket. Very accomplished. By the way, if you want to step up the barbecue and grilling game, or at least the grilling game, uh, Barbecue Champs, he had referenced that a couple different times. I think it's uh, bbqchamps.com, and you can find Actually, in the newsletter, I think I linked to the Barbecue Champs. Uh, no, Nothing related to me. I was just linking you over there. So you can find out more about Matt. So if you're interested in checking that out, you can go to Barbecue Champs and check out his class and all that fun stuff. All right, let me talk to you quickly about Vortic Watch, a small batch custom watch manufacturing company restoring vintage pocket watches located in northern Colorado. They take antique American pocket watches, turn them into wrist watches. Their mission? Preserve and enhance the legacy of manufacturing in America. That's right. In order to do that, they combine traditional and cutting-edge technology to produce unique quality, functional timepieces with exceptional value. Here's the coolest part. Each watch that Vortic makes is unique and one-of-a-kind, just like this one right here. Founded on the motto that America wasn't assembled, it was built. Check out VorticWatch.com and buy one for yourself or take your own pocket watch that your grandfather or great-grandfather left you and send it into them and get it converted into a wristwatch, something that you'll use. It's just sitting in your sock drawer from for now, for crying out loud. Use that thing. All right, let's wrap up the show. Stick around. We'll be right back. Whole packers, full racks, legs and thighs, injecting butts. If you've never heard this before, you might think you found the best triple X show ever. Let's get back to the most homoerotic host out there today, Craig Rimpy. And we thank Matt Overson for joining me last segment. 
going in depth on his steak process. 99%. Did talk about temperatures finishing, did talk about rubs, but other than that, he was an open book. You can find his stuff over on Amazon under Wicked Pig Marinade. 14 minutes. I got to try some. I'll be heading to the Amazon after the show. Grab me up a bottle or two. I like tender steak. Why not give it a whirl? All right, let's wrap it up. All the way back in the first hour, we talked with Stephen Reichlin, barbecuebible.com. I'll be trying his method of eating Maryland crab out when we get on holiday, as they say. Then... Bill Oakley reappeared on the show and did a tremendous job breaking down the fast food scene in general. Chicken nuggets could be a new war, but Bill would rather see a war break out over onion rings because there's just not a lot of onion ring offerings. Just BK, really. Second hour, Jess Pryles. Ooh, so close. We'll try and reconnect her at some point down the road. And we ended the show with Matt Overson. The 2019 SCA points champ, ring winner, and the first person to get a perfect score at an SCA event seven years. That was done on July 10th this year with a 254.5. You can visit Matt over at the Barbecue Champs Academy, barbecuechamps.com, I think, or Barbecue Champs Academy. Just search Matt Overson, O-U-V-E-R-S-O-N, and it'll take you over there. It's like the first return you get. Big show planned for you next week. You know what next week is? It's the finals of the American Idol Barbecue Central Show Edition. The duet is in the can. I've heard it. Mastered by friend of show, Haniel Trisna, the official DJ and sound guy of the Barbecue Central Show. John Solberg and I will be singing for your votes live on the show next week. We also will have Derek Riches, amongst others, so stay tuned for that. September 11th, 2001, I will never forget. Until next Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern, this is your program host and proud U.S. American, Greg Rempe. Good night now. This is Bobby Rempe from Cleveland, Ohio, and you're listening to Barbecue Central.